Attention all fashion forward listeners, while you eagerly await the next captivating episode of Personal Threads, we've got a special treat for you. Today we're diving into the world of elegance and style with an episode from another fantastic Ascot podcast, A New Era in Style. This podcast brings you the creme de la creme of the fashion industry featuring iconic designers, culinary geniuses and trendsetters. So without further ado, let's step into the chic realm of A New Era in style. So welcome back to our podcast, Royal Ascot, a new era in style. And what a treat we have for you all today, because this fashion maverick is the real deal. But this is particularly for the men listeners amongst us, those who relish in embracing quality, buying forever pieces, appreciate craftsmanship, and most certainly want to also turn heads as we bring you the king of occasion wear himself, Mr. Oliver Spencer. How are you, Ollie? Good. It's nice to be back with the shops open. Oh, I bet it is. So uh, that's that's uh, yeah, that's a big change right now. Um, so it's fantastic. I mean, it's all very well selling things online, but uh, actually having the front door open is a marvellous thing. I bet it is. And so when did that actually happen? We've been open for three weeks now. It's been pretty brisk. There is a massive pent-up demand for occasions right now. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a birthday party or whether that's a wedding, people are wanting to dress up. I get the feeling people are wanting to dress up to go out and get a kebab, to be honest with you. Um, I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think people are ready to um, ready to party. Good. I'm pleased to hear it. So I know your work and, and many listening will do, but just for those that might not, I would really love it if you could just sort of take us back to that very inception that beginning part of your life where you fell in love with with fashion I guess well I love clothes at school all the way through clothes I was wearing secondhand um clothing all the way through school and we were allowed to wear I was lucky enough to go to a school that we we're allowed to wear our own suits which was great and so I did and I took full advantage of those rules much to the alarm of my housemaster but that kind of got me really going and then I went to art school in London and during art school I would trade on Portobello Road selling second-hand clothing particularly coats and beautiful sort of field jackets and stuff like that but all second-hand then I got approached to open our first store in Piccadilly Arcade which is of course is German Street and um, where we have one of our stores now uh, we opened that and that was a complete disaster, to be really honest with you. In fact, wow. some, so that on Saturdays, there was just no one coming in. No one was really shopping. And, you know, I, I, I at the time I had a, a shop full of bow ties, cummerbands, waistcoats, all types of fun stuff. And people weren't kind of getting their head around that at that moment in time. Mm. We were in the middle of something quite big and people weren't in the mood to party at the time. And then four weddings and a funeral came along. And literally, that was it. Someone fired the starter. Really? Someone fired the starter's gun, and we were off. Suddenly, people started wearing fun stuff to weddings, fun stuff to parties. I don't know what went on in people's minds, but they just had a complete change. You no longer had to dress in a stuffy way. You could dress in a, a little bit more of a flamboyant way. You could be yourself. After that film, that film changed a lot of the perception of how one would wear clothing. What started happening to us was that when this film came out, customers started coming in. 
But the the fashion men's fashion press started paying attention. More stylists started coming in for other films, and then we 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 just ended up from that point onwards. Uh, the business started to change. Right now, I think that we're heading into a time when I think people are really going to dress up. I think William and Harry and their weddings were very very helpful, and I think that people are going to want to be that they're going to want to dress up to feel good. This is the thing for me. If you put on a morning suit, it automatically elevates you. It automatically makes you feel special. It's a really good feeling, and I think that people are going to want to do that this summer. I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, we've spoken about it before, but this sort of power of clothes and the sense that we've all been through this extraordinarily tough time, that actually celebrating life and enjoying occasion and therefore not reserving formal occasion wear to maybe two or three times in your life, but actually using them monthly to really mark a moment. I agree with you. And I think a lot of it comes down to this this new appreciation of quality, because obviously this country... Great Britain, uh, you know, has been great for producing its own materials for many years, such as wool, particularly in the north of England. But today, there, there's only a sort of handful of mills that are, are left that are being outpriced by competition and, and materials of a lesser quality abroad. Now, you're an advocate for quality and beautiful textiles. So where do you source from and how important is it to pursue quality over quantity? I mean, I am absolutely quality over quantity. And let me tell you, the mills that are in existence in this country mm-hmm. are firing on all cylinders at the moment. They're very, very busy. Great. There is there is a desire for good cloth. We sell many different types of cloth qualities for, let's say, a morning suit. Asker is typically boiling hot. And um, we have customers that have different morning suit. The ones that go every day will have a different morning suit for every day because they come back at the end of the day and it's absolutely had a proper wearing. But just to go back, so where are you sourcing from? Are you sourcing in the UK or are there mills abroad that you're working with in Europe? So we work with lighter weight cloths, generally come from Portugal or Italy. Lighter weight is not particular speciality in this country. It's it's a heavier weight cloth in this country. The, the morning coats themselves are either made in England or they're made in Portugal. How lovely. How lovely. Now, just on to Royal Ascot, that great, well-known, well-loved, nostalgic, British key date in the social calendar. How did that whole relationship start with you? How long has that been going on? Interestingly, we've always had it in the back of our mind and we've all, always had a very brisk business around Ascot. It's always been an important part of the social calendar for us. I, I've never really done what I've done recently, which is actually set out and designed a, a whole collection for Royal Ascot. So to speak, that's a game changer because I'm actually fully concentrating on what people would like to wear for the day. And I think that the really big change for us that it would be a good idea to introduce a new colour. Right. And they haven't had a dress code change in a long time. It's a navy blue, but it's a dark navy blue right. morning suit. And why navy blue, that's interesting, because I love navy blue. Well, it's just rich and luxurious and impeccable and looks so smart on, taking it to another level, really. 
So you've said that wearing the correct attire for a special occasion needn't mean losing one's individual style and personality. So how do you prevent your clients from sort of blending in at Royal Ascot when there are strict style rules to follow? You could do it very, very simply with just just your just just a tie and a handkerchief matching set. You could do it with a patterned waistcoat. It's it's there to be seen but not heard. And I think that's the important thing. And I think the individuality as far as the the gentlemen are concerned is is all about that. Being seen and not heard. Could you give us, from a sort of idiot's guide perspective, you know, if I'm coming at something like Royal Ascot and want to get it right, what would be the do's and the don'ts that probably are important when attending Royal Ascot? Well, a don't is to have a turn up on your trouser. So yeah. let's be let's be straightforward about that. The trousers should sit nicely around the bottom, around the surface of the shoe. Braces are ideal. Yeah. Some people don't love them, but they do keep you looking very smart. Really doing up your morning suit jacket is a don't because you have a waistcoat underneath and three-piece suits were never really designed to be worn uh, with the jacket done up. Right. And is there anything in this sort of leaving the bottom button of the waistcoat undone for movement? Is there... Is there anything I've sort of heard that that might be a rule? Well, that's good on a that's good on a single-breasted waistcoat, especially when you sit down. It enables the waistcoat right. to sit nicely and not bunch up when you're sat having lunch, which is great. Um, if uh, double-breasted is very popular at the moment, and if you've got a double-breasted on, um, then obviously all the buttons are done up. How do you inspire people to? look after their clothes because obviously we you know our theme is sustainability and we are talking about buying less but buying better so from somebody who obviously understands that how to really love those pieces that they do last that they become heirlooms that you can sort of pass them on what should we be doing in in order to ensure that our clothes are kept at their premium best for as long as possible well i would suggest that once you've finished with the season that you get them dry cleaned now, an alternative to dry cleaning is folding them up and actually putting them in the freezer. <laughs> um, if you don't want to go down the chemical route, you can fold them up, put them in a plastic bag and put them in a freezer for 24 hours. Bring them out afterwards and put them on a hanger. Um, you should ideally keep them within uh, uh, with a, with, on a wide wooden hanger, ideally. Um, if you can, get a cedar hanger because that'll protect you from moths. Mm-hmm. Um, and now moths are enemy number one um, when storing clothing. Yeah, zip them up and um, let them hang properly with nothing underneath them, bunching them up, and they will hang well. With the trousers, put a little paper in between them and bottom of the, the, the hanger bar, and that'll allow you not to have hanging marks on the trousers. That's really it. It's said, isn't it, that the suit maketh the man. Mm. And I, I wonder, in your sort of, you know, heritage of working within men's occasion wear and formal wear for the amount of time that you have, this definition of man and male has changed so much. And where we are looking at the maybe less traditional 
uh, approach of just sort of maybe copycatting what your father did, but maybe now sort of exploring your masculinity in a slightly more mm. progressive way by use of colour and different fabrics and different silhouettes. So is there anything you can add to that observation? Well, I think that we're, I think that we're extremely, I think that you've hinted on Savile Row um, earlier on, and we're extremely proud of that heritage. And I think that a lot of our listeners will have watched Prince Philip's funeral, and a lot of them will be, will have been extraordinarily proud of how that occurred and and the way the ceremony was put together, and how smart everybody looked, how incredibly smart everybody looked, and that makes you feel good. The heritage of dressing up for big occasions is a very very important one, and you don't necessarily. This goes back to my point you don't necessarily have to look like your dad you 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 need to dress within your character I think that that is very very important and I think that now there's never been a more important time to dress up than at the present and and tell me why you're saying that what you know I agree with you but I just want to hear it from the horse's mouth if you excuse the pun but what why is now the most important time in our most recent history to actually step out with something that you thought about that actually expresses your principles and your values and actually celebrates life. Well, I think we've got to throw away the tracksuits and the hoodies and the old shirts and 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 actually get out there and start feeling good again. And dressing up is a really big, important part of that. And an occasion like Asker is just an amazing time to do that, to, to feel really special. And what a scene looking at everybody so immaculately dressed. It is it's a very special moment. In England, we have this like no other country anywhere else. We have this season, which is just totally amazing, whether it's horse racing, um, watching tennis, going to Henley. It's just such an incredible time. Over the years, obviously, you've dressed many amazing male clients, but could you just give us a little bit of a exciting anecdote or any of the stories of some of the talent from a formal wear perspective or occasion wear that you've been most proud to dress and, and why? You know, a tailor never tells. But, you know, great moments. Yeah, the, some of the greatest moments of my life were standing in the shop and there was Rod Stewart and Charlie Watts having a conversation in the corner. Um, and then they started shopping and... Oh my gosh, Great. just absolutely fantastic. We've got some very royal customers, which we always enjoy. I suppose one that sticks out was the King of Spain walked in one morning and was the, the now King of Spain. He was then the prince, mm. walked in without anyone, no security, mm. and started trying on waistcoats and he just sort of looked at me and said, I, I just love these and just started, buy, just started buying them. And that was that was a great moment. I was sort of, just finishing my coffee at sort of quarter past nine. Um, so that was great. Um, yeah, but yes, yes. There are many, many great stories. I quite like that because you've kind of got this sort of image of like a Rod, I know, Rod Stewart loves a bit of a sort of tartan Oh, he loves and he loves dressing up. He loves dressing up and so does Charlie Watts. They're, they love they love dressing up. 
you know, it's this sort of Harry Styles on one end being flamboyant and then all the way through to the rods and the, and the stones and, you know, those guys that are still doing it for Britain. Absolutely. Eddie Redmayne shops with us very regularly and his dad shops with us very regularly as well. And they can gather and go shopping. And that's just nice. And I love that kind of family appeal. But this is the great thing about being a shopkeeper. And I think this is one of the things that we've really missed out the last year is that, being a shopkeeper and having great things in your shop is one thing, but having that interaction with the customer is something really special. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in regards to your Royal Ascot, Ollie. What does that week look like for you? How does it normally pan out? Well, we're extraordinarily busy in the stores. Normally, I go to Ascot on, on one of the days. Normally, I go on, well, either, either Tuesday or Thursday. It'll be a bit of running around working saying hi to everybody, and then it'll be um, a little bit of switch off in the afternoon and catch up with some friends. M- maybe I'll do have a little flutter. Well, listen, Ollie, it's been a gigantic pleasure to speak to you. I do hope, because I'm doing a little bit of Royal Ascot TV hosting, so I do hope that I may be able to borrow something from Faberbrook just to step out on camera. I'm perfectly sure that we're going to be able to sort that one out. Yeah, Thank you very much. So kind. And I really look forward to seeing you there, perhaps having a little sort of flutter on the, on the GGs with you. Good. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Now to the top hats. Historically, a real barometer of social hierarchy, a symbol of power and authority, and today, impressive, nostalgic, and a nod to independent-style confidence. The top hat continues to be the mark of true etiquette and respect to these wonderful British calendar dates. And today, we are joined by the UK's most notable independent retailer of top hats, director of Oliver Brown, Mr Christian Ferner robson How are you, Christian? Hi, very well. Thank you for having me. Very nice to have you here. So where do we find you today? So today I am in my HQ in Battersea. Super duper. Now, I have to say, I love a top hat. I mean, there's whether it's something about that kind of love of vintage and that sort of sense of putting on the, the tails and the tap shoes and having a bit of showbiz, but it just totally transforms one's going out experience. It adds something very, very special. But how and indeed why did you, Christian, get into making top hats? Okay, so the first thing I d- it was not making selling because they ha- silk top hats have not been made. The last one was made seventy five years ago. But how I got into this was um, I my father was a huge racing fan and did every day at Royal Ascot when it was a four-day meeting and then even when it was a five-day meeting so very exhausting but when I was 18 he asked me um to my first Ascot um and I was there with my a couple of godparents uh and it was a really jolly day and he said look go go down the Portobello Road buy yourself the right kit so I then bought a top hat for 40 pounds and it was a very beautiful, elegant size seven and a quarter. So that is a very large, is a large top hat. Mm-hmm. Um, I then wore it for lunch, and my stepfather said to me, "Where did you buy that that beautiful hat from?" Um, presumably, you were lent it. And I said, "Well, uh, no, I bought it on the Portobello Road. Told him how much it cost, and um, he said, "Wow, I I went to Locks in St James's last week and upgraded my hat, and it was nine hundred pounds." <laughs> so. <laughs> Being in the student days, which it was, I was right in the middle of Sirencester and my debt was getting quite large 
being a student for the first time and really enjoying it. So I duly went round to Locks the next week and sold it for two hundred pounds. Wow! So I had a nice little profit there, which was which was really nice. And so it grew from there. You identified as sort of you know a revenue or a lucrative revenue opportunity by upselling these pieces. Yeah, I mean they're now hugely expensive to buy in and sell. But um, yeah, I was really the first person, the, the first independent to do it like that there was only three shops in london selling silk toppers in those days so Mm -hmm. i then put an advert in the back of the country life Mm -hmm. which i did for 10 years actually probably more like 15 years i had a back and i i named it kj Werner robson top hats Mm -hmm. and so people then called me up directly and i went and visited them with with a bunch of hats and the first year i did this was when the derby was sponsored by Vodafone and the chairman of Vodafone sent his driver to collect a hat for him and it was on telly that afternoon with him giving out the trophy. So that was really exciting. I suddenly realised that actually this is not only wonderful fun, uh, it was becoming a real business. So the numbers just kept on going up really. How exciting. So when we're talking about the actual the, the piece, the, the, the item here, the, the top hat, what does it actually represent to you? What does it mean? The history of it was that John Hetherington in 1797 was the first person to actually wear a hat, caused a major scene in the in the high street that he walked down with its shiny luster. He actually got banged up for wearing it the first time because it frightened so many people because it looked so different. But uh, nowadays, it's the height of elegance for me. I think they are the most beautiful things you can wear. They have wonderful history. We sell ones up to 200 years old. Our head sizes have got bigger over the years, hence the, the larger ones above a 58 centimetre is, is hard to come by. They're very difficult to find. The ones that are very big sizes are very rare. But I think they are the most beautiful thing you can wear on your head. And they, you can spot them a mile off a, a silk topper over any other top hat is, is just stunning to look at. So when you're stepping out, how do we get guided or how do we go in the right direction to find the right topper for us? We would guide you on how tall you are. A very tall person with a very tall hat can look too tall. So, And a short person with a very tall hat can look a bit funny too. So it's personal preference, really. The taller overall is more elegant because they have more shape and they tend to be the much older hats. It has to sit an inch above the ears flat. The no-nos of wearing a hat, quite a lot of people still do it, is to tilt the hat back. And that's if it's too small, you quite often do that, and also if it's too big. So we, t- we show you how to wear it, how to look after it, and we advise on which is the best one to take for you. But we'll, we'll, we will guide you totally in the right direction what you need. I'd imagine it's very valuable advice because it is a bit of a telltale sign, isn't it? When you do spot that one who has got the topper sort of pushed back, it shows that it's unfamiliar territory. And those that do really wear it straight on with confidence, you know that, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a familiar environment. That's a, that's a tie that they're used to. And it really can cut a look. That's right. It really does. It makes a serious difference on how you wear it. And we also tend to try and, I know it's very hot and very sunny quite often at Ascot, we try and persuade you not to wear things like sunglasses with them because mm. again that's a it's not the look that we're used to generally wearing sunglasses is a no-no also the, the hat blocks out the sun anyway but you know people have their own tastes indeed indeed all very subjective now has the top hat changed in appearance over the years or is it really one of those items that has remained 
firmly planted in tradition. A lot of the cost is is our our, our wonderful um, hat guys who who remould them, reshape them to, to fit people's heads, but also they can change the style of a top hat. I mean, a, a walking topper is traditionally a, a flat um, top hat to look at with its um, rim. That can be bent forwards, backwards, sideways to shape the hat, which can give it a really beautiful curved line on on its sides. Now that lots of people really prefer. If, if we buy two, 300 hats a year, which is, which is probably what we do, then we probably alter... 50 of those because people really want that that shape but traditionally they weren't really like that there was a few that were but um so it's going along those lines but they they do look even more elegant i think when you when when they are a very shaped curved stovepipe sort of style yeah they absolutely do now can you talk to us christian about some of the investment required for the 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 finest top hats because i understand it can range from anything from perhaps 500 i've even heard you know, one hat being around sort of thirty thousand pounds. Can you just sort of take us into your encyclopedic knowledge of the the investment required? Yeah. So it comes down to what we've paid for them. Generally, mm-hmm. um, we think we're the best value by quite some margin compared to a lot of our competitors, mm-hmm. because of the type of person that comes in buying these hats. Some of them are very very wealthy, mm-hmm. and what we don't do is depend the value of the hat on the wealth that comes into the shop we pre-price all our hats and a lot of our competitors don't um so what the values change on the size of your head so if you have a small head which is six and seven eighths to seven and even smaller than that um six and five eighths you're looking in in the hundreds the low hundreds when you get into the territory of the most popular size for us is a seven and a quarter to seven three eighths and that that tends to be the ones we have to collect more of the average is about two to two and a half thousand on those and then there are some very very much taller hats in that range and they'll be a bit more uh and then going up on head size which become very, very rare of say of sixty two then that starts to encroach on five six thousand pounds mm-hmm. and upwards, but they are so rare that size, so that really can command anything I mean you know they are but like we say these heirlooms so that you do look after them and you often pass them down, so actually from a investment in regards to how many times you wear it in your lifetime and then possibly somebody else's lifetime it's not all that bad. <laughs> No, exactly. If you compare it to what the ladies will wear and their hats, their hats can average at five to seven hundred pounds a hat. And a lot of them won't repeat wearing the same one. Right. I mean, I guess, from as you know, our theme this year of sustainability and thinking about cherishing what we buy uh, and top hats being these these beautiful pieces that you know, are great symbols of a sustainable attire in an age where obsolescence still reigns. Would you imagine that you can utilise this quite progressive, very current topic of sustainability and marry in the investment of these amazing pieces? It couldn't be a more sustainable item. It cleans very easily. It's looked after very easily. And if you look after it and you don't have the crown upside down, uh, which is the, the big no, no-no of, of, of looking after a top hat, 
is turning the hat upside down and resting it on its lid. These sort of long days at Ascot with sort of various stops for eats and drinks, you know, there's obviously the temptation just to sort of remove the hat whilst you're having a glass of fizzy pop or eating a little treat of something. Like what what would you be, you know, in shock and horror? What what are the kind of absolute don'ts, according to Christian? Yeah. So is is to know which one's your top hat, which you should initial your top hat we give you a care book to look after your hat and the big no-no is to as i said put it upside down um to put a drink inside it to all the things at ascot that you would do um because you've just put it down or you put your race card into it or your binoculars into it in the fun of running around the races and going from table to table, box to box, wherever it might be, mm-hmm. people can easily pick up someone else's hat. And that happens a lot of the time. We have people that come in year after year saying, I had mine taken last year, and some of them have been stolen, but it, it's very easy. Most, most of the time, someone has just mistakenly picked up the wrong hat. In spring of 2017, you were appointed as an official licensee to Royal Ascot, becoming the preferred top hat supplier for the event. So how did this whole relationship with Royal Ascot actually start and how does it feel to have this title? We are so lucky to work with Ascot. They are the most wonderful. I call them a family, really. They they work like a family. They look after people like me incredibly well. Uh, Having Ascot behind closed doors last year must have cost them millions well i knew it i know it costs them millions not to have mm-hmm. um the crowds behind to put it on for the sake of racing for the sake of for the sake of racing was just amazing that they did that and they look after their customers their members anybody still ask it they just look after so well and they put the, the the right foot forward every single time so it's um it's a real privilege we have three shops there that sell our hats we were looking at doing some exciting things uh this year but sadly ascot doesn't look as though we're going to have shops there for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. it's more important to have um the public there so and safer so we have a a paddock shop and the royal enclosure shop which was in 2019 and um and they do it, it does very well we're with other licensees within the shop um it's beautifully um decked out and um very well run and we we sell quite a few hats not as many as you would think because me, most people have a hat but it's very good to be there and it works very well uh, it's very successful for us we we sell to to people who've always wanted a top hat a silk yeah. top hat who've had either a gray or a heatherington one or a a wool one that we also hire in the shop we hire a lot of those mm-hmm. and the reason we hire the wool ones and, the, and not the polishable ones is, is they come back in quite different. Um, they, they, they come back a bit trash sometimes. So we we, do, we give out um, those ones. So and people just want to upgrade. They get really excited seeing the ones that we have um, on this beautifully um, decorated stand. So they they get excited by the idea of they've either had a, a very successful gambling day or they've always been eyeing one, or they just want to upgrade. And when we're looking at sort of, you know, obviously we look at how, uh, you know, with with the given dress code, how the ladies like to sort of express their individual flair and and style. Is there much you can do with a top hat in regards to actually making a statement, or is it is it fairly traditional? Yes, you can go for a very tall hat. It just looks very elegant. Depending on the size of your head and your height, 
it, from from a mile away, you can see that that is a proper topper. So that's what we try and achieve to most of our clients that come in, that you can see, wow, that's, you know, where did you get that hat? And most of our businesses repeat business. But um, it, again, that's, that's probably one of the ones we would have reshaped. And why do you think the top hat has endured all of these years and remains a, a, a staple uh, to events like Royal Ascot? Well, it, it, it's gone through changes. It wasn't always... Um, you know, they, the, the reason that the silk top hat is no longer in production is because uh, two French brothers fell out and their factory was, was burnt down, apparently because of the, 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 the fight they had. Now, um, but the, there was not enough demand for top hats uh, 80 years ago. And it slowly came down to sort of 65 years ago, there was just very, very little demand um, for top hats, because in those days, grey was worn. Grey was very, very much worn um, throughout the, that, that period, um, and changed, changed its fashion 55 years ago. Mm-hmm. Slowly, people wanted to wear a silk top hat, because parts of the royal family, were, various members of the royal family were beginning to wear a silk top hat again. The Duke of Edinburgh quite liked his grey, and his, he had a very beautiful white it was called it's a white top hat those ones because they are they appear to be quite white they, they are gray and he looks so elegant in anything he wore as does prince charles prince charles he switches still between a gray and a black um when he's at ascot his boys will wear black so it's it's just changed the fashion really mainly from the what the royal families wore over the years in the last 40 years it's just you can see that those the, the new greys that are made nowadays and have been made since again about the same time as silk top hats mm-hmm. when when they went out of production also the proper old fashioned grey top hat which looked more pale and white um, the new grey ones just look like a marshmallow on your head they look horrific there are certainly higher businesses that only hire those out and they're very weddingy they're just not very ascot right. but the old ones are beautiful. And so it just that changed the period. Now everybody wants black, although a lot of greys are still there. And the old fashioned, the old, old fashioned white toppers, the grey ones are, are very elegant. So that, that's, that's really why everybody wants the, the black one nowadays. Um, Christian, thank you so much for your insight and your, your intellect in this great topic of amazing top hats. Um, and yeah, really lovely to catch up with you. And we hope to see you very soon. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining our insightful podcast. And we look forward to welcoming you back next time as we catch up with another remarkable voice in fashion, food and all things nice at Royal Ascot. And there you have it. A fascinating glimpse into the world of style and fashion at Royal Ascot on A New Era in Style. We hope you've enjoyed this special crossover episode while you eagerly await the next instalment of Personal Threads.